Welcome to the Must Love Self Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I'm your host. Every week, I get to interview a beautiful, courageous, strong woman who is willing to share her ugly and beautiful with the world. Must Love Self is a podcast, a movement, and a decision. It is about women lifting other women up, women holding each other women accountable, and women finding their way along this path. I hope you enjoy. La, 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 la. Okay, I'm so excited to have Shirley Blanche from the UK. Where specifically are you from right now? Uh, from the south of England, so not far from London, Brighton, in between London and Brighton. First question is, why did you say yes to this conversation? I really like the idea of empowering people through story to take some power back for themselves. And I think stories are the best way to really engage people emotionally, to help them believe that they can do things for themselves. And so I like the idea of the vulnerability. I think um, I'm always willing to put myself out there and be vulnerable if it inspires and helps other people to do the same. Me too. I, I just, I think every single woman that comes on here, regardless of what their background is, when we're willing to share, you know, as I say, our ugly and beautiful with the world, it gives each other permission to do the same. And that's our job here. It's not just to be perfect because none of us are. It's to light the way for other people to show our scars and see that they're beautiful. And, and I can't wait to get into it with you. My first question, if you don't mind me asking, and I'm only doing this because I want women specifically to let go of the whole age thing, is mm -hmm. how old are you? I turned 50 this year. Congratulations. So. Happy, I know. Happy. So, so excited. She's smiling while she's saying that. So my question to you is, have you ever had an issue with your age? Um, when I was young, randomly, I do remember being terrified of turning 20. I was thinking, oh God, I'm getting so old. Um, and then maybe when I, maybe, you know, yeah, I think when I was younger, as I'm old, as I'm getting older, I'm like, bring it on because I actually feel so much better now at 50 in so many ways than I did at 20. So I, you know, I'm Do you have any that. opinion why you think some women don't want to share their age or lie about their age? I think it's just being conditioned by society to be that, like that um, and not having a not having a good perspective over it. I think it's just I think it's societal conditioning. And and I did do a talk for a load of women once who, who belong to a group who are over 50. And they said uh, and I was just below 50 at that time. I think I was about 47. And they said, wait till you turn 50. When you're 50, you become invisible. And th and this was seemed to be the mindset of, you know, you're only visible when you're young and you're beautiful. And I was just like, wow, well, I don't agree with that because I think you could be 20 and be invisible, you know? Um, and I think you could be 80 and be really the most visible person in the room. And so I think it's much more about mindset than it is about age. And it's who, who are you referring to when you're saying that yes. you're visible? You know, yes. are you referring just to men? The construction men that are yeah. not going to shout at you? Yeah. But it's yeah. so interesting that you said that because I asked this question to every woman and I've never heard anyone say that. It just it felt like a gut punch to hear that, that those women feel invisible because as you said earlier, we are just all sharing our stories. And I think the most powerful thing is, is to hear each other's stories so we can feel seen and heard. So the question I would ask back to them is like, like you said, who is it that you're feeling invisible from? Because at my age and at your age, we're feeling more empowered and more vocal and more like, I don't care what you think and let's go. So that kind of breaks my heart a little bit. 
definitely and I was like well I bet you're not invisible to the people that love you (laughs) oh so Um, there's not gonna be men shouting at me while I'm walking down the street awesome like that like that ever did anything other than like this is awkward right yeah you know, I just, I, I just like, well, I've never been the person I, I, I'd walk into a room and probably talk to anyone. So I'm never going to be that person, but that's because that's my personality. But I equally know people who are young, who are, you know, really introvert, who would want to be invisible and, and, and who would be that way anyway, uh, you know, even out of choice, it's not an age thing. It's a confidence thing. It is. Um, and it's, it's a, a mindset. It's a confidence and it's a mindset. Um, and if you only want to be visible for your looks, then you're going to have a lot of work to do as you get older. That's a whole, <laughs> that's a have... whole nother issue. Yeah. I want to take you to what I normally ask everyone to do, which is a rating of ourselves in terms of how we see our own perception of ourselves. One is I'm not kind to myself. I use unkind words, an unkind voice. 10 is I think I'm pretty awesome and, I'm, and I treat myself well. It doesn't mean that we think our body's awesome or our worth is awesome. It just means we're not like eating on our own brain with our head. I want these three areas. What would you rate yourself today with your own image of your own body in terms of kindness versus unkindness? Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of work on this in the last couple of years. So I'm really focused on it. And I would say it depends on the day and it depends on the mood that I'm in. (laughs) But generally, I do try and be up there. Like I can go from a 10. Like some days I'll just be like a 10 and I'm totally in acceptance. What is the lowest it's ever been? I mean, lowest it would be a, would be a what, like how low can you go? I know someone's like, can I do negative eight? I'm like, sure, go negative eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For many years. When was the lowest? Like what was going on? Well, I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's necessarily a particular point for me. I would say it was more insidious than that. I, I would say it's something that, that was underlying and that I was unconscious of for a really long time. And it was only when I brought real mindfulness and real mindful awareness to the unconscious behaviors that I had that I even noticed it. I'm so glad you said that. So I'm very open with all my stuff. I had an eating disorder actively from age nine to 21, where I was either starving myself, restricting, vomiting, or doing other like horrible things. At 21, I made the decision to not do that anymore. However, I spent the next from 21 to about 39. I thought I was doing good. But now because I'm being so mindful and we're having these conversations, I realized that up until two years ago, I was massively restricting. I had the mean voice. I had so many rules. If somebody could have gotten in my head and seen all my rules and how I was constantly trying to shift things and what do I need to cut out? What do I need to change? I realized that I was doing disordered eating that entire time, which is really exhausting. What would you say your number is for your ability to know your worth, where that you belong, that you are worthy? What would you say that number is? I mean, I'm going to be really annoying with this because I'm going to say, again, it fluctuates, you know, and, I, and, and this is where I would say when we're on this journey, the journey isn't a constant trajectory from one point to another. It's something that goes up and down and then you find another trigger and then, you know, it could sort of plummet one day and go right up. But I mean, I can be up at 10, you know, like I can be 100% aligned with my highest version of myself you know, and completely in acceptance with that. But I would say I'm in a much higher range generally these days than I ever was years I ago. I like that you mentioned that it, it goes up and down that, and I wrote down that the journey isn't constant because life's going to happen. Things are mm. going to throw us off. 
I was doing great. And then I made the stupid decision to watch the Kardashians because there was nothing on. And then I was like, ew, I feel horrible about myself. And then I was like, Carly, stop watching this crap. Like it's not going to help you. So, you know, but you, we get to figure it out as we go. Yeah. What would you rate your ability to use your own voice to advocate for yourself? Well, that's a good one. Cause I, I, I have real people pleasing traits. You know, I'm a real empath. And I think my biggest, uh, my biggest obstacle still to overcome is that. And I really work, really work at it. And I'm really trying to overcome the discomfort from that. So I would say, I, I would say I used to be terrible at it and, and I'm getting better. So I would say probably, you know, I'm again, I'm up higher than I was, but I need, I, there's work, more work to do. Maybe what seven. areas do you notice that you have a harder time using your voice in and what areas do you have an easier time? Like for me, the reason why I differentiate and say for yourself, when it comes to my kids, I'll light the world on oh, fire, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, get yeah. get the hell out of my way. But yeah, when yeah, it's yeah. me, it's super uncomfortable, but I'm getting there. What yeah. areas do you think that you are like kicking ass in at using your voice? And what areas you're like, oh, I really need to work on that. Yeah. I mean, I still think, I think you're right. I think when I'm advocating for other people and certainly when it comes to my work and certainly when I'm talking in a, maybe a more of an abstract way about things that I really passionately believe in. But when it comes down to something that's really personal, where I feel like I need to, you know, I need to stand my ground a bit more, then I still find that really hard. Also, I feel like um, where I really struggle is I always feel like somebody else is that, that somebody else's suffering is always more important than my own you know like mm. I want to heal everyone you know just so and you that's know the thing that I have that's to connected on. to your worth yeah it's hard to remember it because it feels like I just don't know I don't want to make us you know I don't want I, I called someone out on this the other day who I was really close to and they're like I don't want to tell you what's going on in my life you know everyone's got stuff and I was like but you're blocking anyone from being able to help you because you're making this idea in your mind that you're struggles aren't worthy. And I remember when I first started connecting with my husband, who I knew had lost his daughter before I met him, I was not able to talk to him about anything I was going through. And I told him, and he's like, that's BS. Like your grief and your struggles are not, you can't compare it. It's not like my grandparents are from the Holocaust. So they always just, I always felt like there was like the Holocaust card. Like, how do you complain about anything? Yeah. But everyone's journey is different. And if we did that, then we'd all be quiet because we need to be able to communicate and walk through stuff with each other. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, I, I think a lot of that is conditioning. And I think what was really interesting is what I've noticed that as I've, as I've kind of looked back and really examined, you know, in terms of my upbringing, I was, I was the eldest and I was always the good one. Now mm. you might think, well, that's good to be the good one. Cause we always get labeled something. And then my sister who was about 18 months younger than me, she was the really demanding one. So I would always get, God, it's, we're so lucky that we've got you cause you're the good one. So uh, thank God we had you first and it's easier, you know, and all that. And so being labeled that means, well, what does that actually mean when you look at it? What, what it means is you're being good cause you're not making a fuss, you know? And you're now not I causing look at it, any trouble. You're not causing any trouble. So all the time you're doing that, you're good. You know, so that's how you need to be. And I was brought up in a family where we really didn't have confrontation, like confrontation was the worst thing ever. So you have this fear of confrontation, plus you're told that you're the good one because you're good because you're not causing a fuss and you fit in around everybody else. And so it's really hard to break out of that deep rooted conditioning that starts at such a young age because you don't have the critical thinking at that point to go, is this 
right? Is this normal? And you think well, it's good because I'm being praised because I'm being told I'm good. But I'm being told that I'm good because what I'm doing is I'm pleasing everybody else and not myself. And I look at my sister and she's really determined and she's really, and so whose needs were being met, right? You know, and she's really demanding and she doesn't care. Like she'll confront, confront, confront. So it's a very interesting thing to look at. And I think it definitely does tie into self-worth. You just so- blew my mind. Okay, so I have three kids. My oldest is our good one, air quote. He is easy. If I could have reproduced him into 17 other kids, I would have had 18 children. He's like you said, he doesn't cause issues. He follows directions. He's a joy. But what we're doing, what I'm doing is I tell him, oh my God, you're so easy. So I need to have a conversation with him because he's almost 15 and we talk about everything and tell him like, I'm completely removing you from the title of being the good one. I want you to know you're just Graham and you need to be whatever you are. Cause I'm always working with him on using his voice. Cause he never wants to use it. Cause we've got the third one who takes up all of the oxygen in the entire house. And then the middle one who does nothing, right? Like, so I need that. That was such a aha moment for me to hear that from you. Cause I can do something about it now because that's a lot of pressure to always yeah. have to be good. Yeah. So thank you for that. I, speaking of your childhood, you told us a little bit about it, but I'm, I'm wondering what you saw, thought about, heard, were told, not told about what a woman should be like or what a girl should be like, look like, act like, not act like when you're growing up. God, that, that's a really interesting question. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I was a, I'm a child of the 70s and things were very different here. <laughs> you know, then. So it was very, you know, it it was very much, I think it was very much, you didn't really aspire to necessarily have a career. You know, my dad was a wonderful human being. He was a self-made businessman. He had no qualifications. So he's like, well, you don't need qualifications and you'll probably just, you know, get married, have kids and families, everything. And so I think I was just in that generation, like not that many people that I went to school with went on to university and got degrees at that time. Most people, maybe they did A-levels, you know, maybe they went to college, but they didn't necessarily go on to get degrees um, unless they wanted to be doctors lawyers you know things like that so I think I was just at that point where after that my youngest sister's eight years younger than me and she definitely was in the realms of everybody was doing degrees by then and people were a lot more career focused whereas I think definitely it was like you didn't aspire too much you know you you didn't aspire too much you've got a job you just did that and you maybe got married and had kids. So very conventional, I would say. Are there three girls in your family or is there more? Yeah, three girls. Yeah. So what was that like in terms of body and look stuff and achievement stuff growing up? Did you feel like competition or people comparing you guys? What was that like for you? Well, I mean, this is where I can really kind yeah. of play the whole Let thing. it out. If you, if you really want. Yes. So my first awareness, because when we're born, we're just born thinking we're perfect. You know, like we don't have any awareness that there's anything wrong with us. Uh, there babies, isn't. We cry, <laughs> we get, we get fed, we get, you know, we get all our needs met. Most of us, unless we're neglected, but most people get their needs met when they're a baby. And then my first real, I guess, awareness that I wasn't perfect was overhearing a conversation uh, in ad- with adults in my family discussing my weight. Mm. And so how and old that, were you? I think, I, and it's really hard because it's a bit fuzzy, but I think I was probably around five. I think I'm definitely under the age of 
you know, rational thinking, um, whether you can even have rational thinking about something like that. But I do remember it being quite young and, and overhearing that. And I actually think I pushed that memory away for quite a long time because it's only really when I started going back and really thinking, doing some real work around body issues and weight and thinking, actually, yeah, I do remember that because it was the first moment that I had this perception of myself being anything other than perfect and really really and it was a real kicker you know it was really like that and then from that moment on I think I just in my head had this belief system like I am just naturally fat then this is I am the fat one so it went from you know I am the good one to I am the fat one uh and then uh and then my sister who was younger than me about 18 months younger than me she was very she's very very hyper she's very kind of lives lives on stress and she's never really eaten very much so she was always quite naturally skinny and she was much more athletic and good at sports and all that kind of stuff whereas I was more creative and sort of sedentary anyway it's just just as a as a person but um looking at that time you know I look back on images of myself and I was like you know I was not overweight I was you know a bit of puffy fat maybe if you want to call it that but I I I was a healthy looking kid I think who was probably given some rubbish food to eat. right <laughs> it was the 70s and you know we did you know we had a lot of rubbish to eat um and then uh, from there onwards uh it, the trajectory was very much like I was designated as the fat what you know I was eating different foods I was put on diets and eating different foods to uh, my my other two siblings and so yeah so there was definitely something that was so deeply ingrained into me that I was just naturally fat I was told that I was very like my maternal grandmother in terms of my looks and she was morbidly obese at one point wow so so then again I'm thinking well that's an inevitability so I'm going to end up looking like that um my dad would have little nicknames for us all and he'd go where's the big one you know like that was actually my nickname and he was very sweet. And I think he meant the eldest one. Like, I don't even think it was a reference to that. But for but a woman to hear that description, the big yeah. one, which yeah. because our society and culture tells us women are not supposed to be big. We're not yeah. we're supposed to be take up as little space as humanly possible <laughs> and be like little teeny like dolls. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's every time I hear a woman's story at this point, I have this like deep desire to like come and scoop you up at that time and be like come with me kid like I'm so sorry that they're talking to you like this and that they're talking about you like this did you have anyone to talk to did anyone know what you were struggling with internally no absolutely not and I don't think I even I don't think I even knew like like I don't even I don't think I was aware of it until a couple of years ago like literally I don't when you were ready to make the changes I really started yeah until I really started looking at you know, and then, and that was only because I'd had a friendship and I was discarded from that friendship and that person just had issues. And I think it was, uh, you know, had, had treated other people like that. And, and to me at that point, I was then, okay, why did I value myself so little after mm. all this work that I've done? Cause I'd been doing this work for quite a long time by then. Why did I value myself so little that I would get into a friendship with someone that would treat me like that, who, you know, uh, and, and so I thought, wait, this is a really great opportunity because obviously I thought I'd done a lot of work on myself and I thought I'd done gone a fairly long way along the journey and that's when I realized actually there's something else going on here and that's when I started thinking well there's got to be some stuff you've really not worked on and I went really hardcore I just took it as a gift 
and I, I've got like no problem with that person now. Like I am just, you know, total love and positive vibes to that person. Absolutely so grateful because yeah. I think that person only came into my life to, to discard that teacher. Me. Right. You know, for, for that reason. And and they're on their own journey and they've got their own things to go through. And I like I'm never going to have a go at them for that because they've got difficulties that they're going through and that fair, fair play to them. But what it did for me and I remember when it happened um, and and also at that time I was wanting to get out of some work that I was doing for, for someone that I didn't really want to do anyway. And they all kind of came together on one day and it was just like everything seemed to be falling apart on one day. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror saying, you're going to look back on this and think this is the, one of the best days of your life. Because I knew that even though it looked on the surface, like everything was kind of falling apart. And the thing to remember is that when people treat you in a certain way, and especially in, in a kind of discarding kind of way, uh, what it does is it triggers in you your absolute primal fear of abandonment, which comes because we never want to be abandoned. We, we never want to be shunned by the tribe. We, you know, that's a really scary place to be. We go clawing, we usually go clawing back to get that person back, to get that person back. And this is where we can open ourselves up to a lot of, you know, manipulation. But at that point, I'd done enough and I was aware enough and I was aware enough of this particular person and, and their history and, and things to recognize that and to go, OK, I'm accepting this with gratitude and I'm accepting this as a gift and it's going to be painful and it's going to be difficult. But I'm really going to learn a lot from this. Man, you have so much like genius coming out of you right now. So. First of all, I just want to acknowledge, I wrote my memoir, Seconds and Inches, that I chose two quotes in the front of it. And the first one is what reminded me what you're just saying by Cynthia Ocelli, for a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks, its insides come out and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. That's one of my favorites. And that's exactly what you're describing. And the other thing I wrote the word worth really big when you were talking about the friendship and being treated a certain way. I think something that we don't understand all the time is that when we allow somebody, whether it's a family member, a friend, a lover, a boss to treat us, our children, a certain way, that is about our work. And in order for us to use our voices to say, no, this is not acceptable, we have to come back to the place of I am worthy. And I didn't realize it until you were just saying that, that the reason I ended up getting the courage to leave my marriage was because of that. And it was about my worth. I didn't realize it until just now that the reason why I finally was able to leave was because I realized that this is not how I'm supposed to feel. And that is so powerful for women to understand, regardless of the situation you're in, if you don't love the way you feel and how you're being treated, you have an option. You said from the beginning that we get to create our, our own reality, that there's an alternative option out there. You can't see it, right? We were talking before we started. So thank you so much for that. Oh, it's, it's so cool. Well, this is the thing about conversations, isn't it? It leads to real conversation. Yes. Real ones. Yeah. I have a question for you before we get into your quote. Two questions, actually. As a mother, you have how many kids? I have two. How has it been for you raising them with the consciousness that you don't want to pass on that same? Or have you been conscious about raising them? to have worth, to be okay with their bodies as they are, to use their voices. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And I started off being a very kind of traditional authoritarian parent. 
I've got two boys and I just went down the traditional, you know, you will do what I, you know, I thought that was the best way to be. I was a stay at home mom. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've had to fight a lot for my kids because they've, there's been various things going through school and I've needed to get them extra help for stuff and all sorts of things. And then it got to a point and I don't know really what it was, but I, I just sort of thought to myself, at some point, these are going to be men and they're going to be bigger than me. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to go and put them on the naughty step or, you know, they're not going to do what I, I tell them to do anymore. And this is just isn't going to work. And I need to find another way and to relate to them. And I thought, actually, what we want is we all want the same outcome here. We all want for them to be happy human beings. And I don't want to have conflict. And I had a lot of conflict in my teens with my my parents. I was a real rebel. I there were a lot of there was a lot of arguments and you know, I'm I, I don't ever like to conform to anything. I and and so that I so I think there was that real rebellious stage that I went through and I just thought you know I just don't want that I don't want that and so what I did was I made a real conscious shift into really communicating into just complete and utter open communication about everything and and a lot of people wouldn't approve of the way that I parent because I really don't sweat the small stuff that other people might think is really important (laughs) I think some days my kids went off to school and people would think oh they look like they've been dragged through a hedge backwards But, but it was always about their emotional it was all about, about offering the emotional support rather than looking at the details of the how perfect they looked yes. and how perfect they looked on, on the outside or, or anything like that. And so what I've done is I've really encouraged communication. I don't sort of censor the language that they want to use, especially around their emotions. If they want to get passionate about it, I let them, um, I let them feel like they can talk to me like they would a friend. I don't want to pitch myself as, as a friend, but you know, because I still am mom at the end of the day. And I think it's important to have that, that distinction as well. But if I have an opposing opinion to them and now my son is my eldest is 18 anyway, he's, and if I have an opposing opinion, it will always be like, I'm coming from a place of love you know so so if we have a a discussion and 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 they just haven't rebelled like you know that this might come I mean my youngest is nearly 16 but but because what I do is I say well look I'm worried about this because as a parent I'm looking at you and I'm thinking you're not thinking this through and I don't want that because these are my fears and they might turn around and go mum look you're being over the top now because you're worried about this and this is never going to happen because blah blah but I get they get to see that I'm not trying to control them and then sometimes they'll they'll allay my fears because they'll say look you're just being now this and oh okay but I did actually when my when my eldest was 15 I turned around to him and I did a blog post on this actually because I asked him what he thought the biggest parenting mistake I'd ever made was and and I thought I've got to be really open to being here hearing some stuff now because if I want to be a better parent, then I've got to open up my mind up to the fact that I have made mistakes along the way. And I've got to be open to hearing that, even if it's that, if, even if that's difficult and painful. What did he say? Well, he just, he was really lovely, actually. He said, oh, I think you're a really great mom. He just said, I think you're, you know, you're a brilliant mom and I really love you. But I think you're not strict enough with my brother. <laughs> you let him go on his laptop too much. And that was like all he came up with. Because I was expecting all this big emotional stuff of like, well, when I was three, you did this. Or, you know, I was really expecting. And he was like, oh, no, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And having that from him was really great. And I would say he's one of my favorite people in the world. Well, they both are. And and 
the the fact that that he he will phone me up and from university and he'll talk to me and he'll say oh just I've got so much to tell you because and he will talk to me in the way that other my friends don't get calls like that from their kids and he'll he'll tell me what their his friends are doing he'll put me on speakerphone so I can speak to his friends you know and that's the relationship that's the relationship I hope I always have with my kids I never want to feel like they think oh I've got to go and see mom yeah I don't want that either I don't want them to feel guilt I want them to feel safe I want them to I want to be that for them um speaking of feeling safe I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of insight into what you do as a mindfulness coach and how you think us women who don't want to live with those mean voices, how we can kind of walk through that and get to the other side. Well, I think the great thing about mindfulness is that it's very, very simple, but it's just it's difficult to remember to do it. That's the, tr- that's the challenge with it. So it's about becoming aware all the time. It's about bringing awareness. And this is where I think that people think that mindfulness and meditation are the same things, and they're really not. They're two very distinct practices in my, in my mind. And the mindfulness, the way that you can integrate it into everyday life in certain sort of situations at different times of the day is just bringing real awareness to the way that you're feeling, first of all, because your feelings are the signals to the thoughts that you're having. And you won't be aware of the thoughts that you're having because they're so fleeting and there's so many of, but you might be aware of the, the physical reaction that you're having to those thoughts. So certainly for me, when I started to become doing this work, I would always go to the feeling first. And most of us know what it feels like when we feel stressed or we feel anxious or we feel worried about something. And it will be different for everybody. And this is something that I do with kids. I have like a little outline, a body outline, and I get them to draw where they feel stress and what it looks like for them. Because it, And it's different for everybody. But for me, I always feel it in my stomach. That's just where I feel it. It's I like feel it in my stomach and I feel it in my chest, like ink, like that. Ugh. Yeah. As soon as you feel that feeling, you stop yourself and you go, ah, what was I just thinking about the moment before I felt that? Because if I can catch that thought, I... I know what it is then. Okay. And so you look at that thought and you go, okay. And then you can consciously let that go. And the more often that you do that and the more habitual that becomes, the more aware you get of the thoughts that you're having, and then you can let them go. The whole thing of then dealing with, well, what's the belief behind that thought is a different matter because that's more, that that's more, I would say, you know, really becoming aware of what your programming is that's developing, that's creating those thoughts. I'm not going to judge it and I'm not going to judge myself for thinking that. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to bring myself in the present moment, take a couple of breaths. And now I'm carrying on. I'm not going to carry that thought with me. Get the feeling back again. You do it again. You let it go. And it's just a a routine of doing that. But then I think there's a whole other load of work where you then start to go, okay, well, if the same thought's coming up again and again, it's coming from a core belief. So what might be that belief that's driving that thought that's coming up? That question about what's behind this and understanding that, you know, one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements because I love that we have agreements with ourselves. My agreement used to be, that how I looked on the outside was my worth about how I was treated by the opposite sex was my worth. So I get to change those. I do that a lot with coaching clients about success. You know, you get to decide what success looks like. You don't have to focus on what anyone else thinks it looks like. What does it look like for you? And like you talked about earlier for your kids, you want them just to be happy, fulfilled humans. You know, for me, for my kids, I want them to be really good humans in the world. Not good, like how you were talked about, but like, Um, helpful and useful because I know regardless of what career path or family path they go on, 
if they are consistently people that like look out for other people and help, they're going to be happy. Even if, you know, life happens. I'm so excited about all your offering. I want to know if you remember the quotation we discussed in the beginning or if I always sort of say to people, you're more powerful than you think. I love like, that. You think you don't have this power, but the reality is that when you realize that your feelings come from inside of you, they don't come from anywhere else. When you realize that, you realize that no one can make you feel anything because your feelings are coming from you. Now, people can do stuff and you can't control what they do. But what you can do is you can learn to recognize that the choice that you make in response to what they're doing is yours. It's work. But one of the things, and, you know, we didn't discuss it on, on air. I don't think we discussed it beforehand. And my path of getting into this came through fear of disease and, and, and having lost my dad to cancer and stuff like that. And when I realized that fear is a choice and that I'd been choosing fear, then I realized that I had a choice to not choose fear and that I didn't have to live in fear anymore. Surely, I just like need to like sit with you all day. I mean, I feel like you've given me so much stuff. I'm, I'm going to make an art piece out of you're more powerful than you think. And then I was like, well, I need to do another one out of fear as a choice. Like, I, oh my God, I love you. Are you ready for lightning round? Oh, I don't know, but well, I'll let's go. Out. We'll let's do it together. Okay. Tell me what do you think the lowest point in your life has been so far? Has it been during the loss of all those years of cancer and all that fear? Do you think that was your lowest point? Yeah, I think definitely losing my dad. Okay. If you could go back to yourself during that time as the woman you are today, is there anything you'd like to say to her? Um, I, I think, well, what I would say is that my dad gave me life twice. Hmm. Once at, at conception and once at his death. He was the most giving human being in the world. And he would do that because what he did was he allowed me to be reborn his death allowed me to be reborn to who I am now. And, and you don't always see it as a gift, but it, he gave me the most amazing gift through my grief of losing him. Uh, that gave me chills. What would 80-year-old Shirley say to 50-year-old Shirley? Probably even more aggressively, just stop caring what other people think. It really doesn't matter. And the older you get, the less you care. What does it mean to be beautiful? Just to believe that you are. Hmm. I love that. What does it mean to be a strong woman? To know that you are more powerful than you think. No, it's true. It's to know it and to believe it and it's to a live it, right? And to live it. I yeah. found that out for myself because I'm a single mom at home with these three boys. And even though my oldest is six, two, no one will like get the spider or the disgusting garbage or anything like they're all grossed out by everything. And so, because I like screwed them up with that. And so I'm like, fine, I'll do it. Right. And so eventually I'm hoping they're going to start doing this stuff. Cause I try to make them do most things, but I'm realizing I am way more powerful. Like there's very few things I can't do except for like plumbing and electrical. Like besides that I'm pretty capable, which is a really cool feeling. So thank you for that. What do you want others to say about you? I don't actually care what others say about me uh, is probably the right answer for that. I think um, I think I do get people saying that that I've helped them. Like it, it, I think if I help one person, I feel honestly that my dad's light shines through me. So I don't even feel like it's even me. I feel like it's still his energy kind of carrying on in the world. And so and, and so I think if one person says, look, that really helped me, then, you know, awesome. surely that really helped me. So you don't have to even wonder because it's already happened. And I know you're going to help other people. Two more questions. If you found out you only have six months left to live. So all those fears you had before, but you found out it's really going to happen. What would you do differently with your time? 
I would just make sure I bloody enjoyed myself a lot more. Sorry, I said bloody. I don't no, we okay. swear and bloody okay, is nothing. Okay. Okay, I love bloody. Good. <laughs> good. When I hear you say that, I'm asking myself, well, what do I need to do to do that? Because none of us are guaranteed anything. So yeah. what's it going to look like? How am I going to change now? So I don't go, oh, shit, I didn't realize there wasn't enough time. That's like one of my biggest yeah. concerns. What would you do differently to bloody enjoy yourself? I think I'd probably make, well, it's really difficult because we're kind of locked down at the moment. Right, but so I, you I can't think, change that. So what would you do So now? I can't change that. So what I would do is I would more consciously be aware of where my emotional vibration is. If you, if, if you, I'd be constantly doing things to ensure that I was as happy as possible. And that would be my priority over and above worrying about other people's needs over and above anything else. It would be making sure that everything I did was making me as happy as possible. And I believe that that is the, that's the route to healing anyway. (laughs) Remember what 80 year old Shirley said, stop caring about what other people think. So we, we need to get from here to there. Last question. Yeah. One piece of advice for every woman that's listening to here. What do you want to say to them? One piece of advice that everybody can hear. God, I'm just going to go back to you're more powerful than you think. Take your power back is what I'm going to say. Take it back. Just keep taking it back because it comes from inside of you. It doesn't come from outside. Everything comes from within and that's where it starts and that's where it ends. The more you recognize that and the more you let go of the stuff outside of you thinking that it does have any power over you, the better you're going to feel and the more powerful you become. And it just keeps going and going and going. Shirley, where can people find you, listen to you, discover you? So you can just find everything on my website, which is getmindful.co.uk. We're going to get mindful with you. I feel so lucky to have been in your presence. I feel like you gave me so much. My paper is covered in notes. And I know that your father's light is shining through you because it hits hit me you know, oh, from UK God. to Cleveland, Ohio. So thank you so oh, much. It's been so lovely to chat it has, to you. This is just the so beginning. Much. We're going to be connected for a long time. I think so. I like it. I like the vibe. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 la,